that we simply have to obey more or try harder, be nicer, pray more, give more, fast more, do more. Because as as we read chapter five of, of, of the Sermon on the Mount, we see that that's the kind of person that Jesus was actually going after. People who had simply boiled down their relationship with God to a set of rules, these these outward external things that they had to check off a list in order to be right with God. Jesus isn't interested simply with outward actions. He's after our hearts. He's after our motives and our affections. We're not called to simply be rule followers. We're called to follow Jesus. It implies that there's a relationship there, that we actually know him and treasure him and trust him for what he has done. The Sermon on the Mount points us to Jesus, not only because he's the preacher, but he is the embodiment of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is the fullest expression of what we read in the Sermon on the Mount. And where we fall short, where we, where we look in the scriptures and we see the, the high standard to which God lays out before us, we realize that we fall short, but we look to Jesus who actually lived the life in the Sermon on the Mount. He lives the life that he outlines here, a life of, of perfect outward obedience, but of perfect inward obedience, of perfect love and trust and devotion to his heavenly Father. That that was, it was out of that wellspring, it was out of that wellspring of love for his Father that all these things came. We're not looking for mere rule followers, but do we truly treasure the God who has created us and brought us to himself through his Son? It's through faith in Jesus' death and life that we are actually accounted with the life that he lived. That as as we look at Jesus who lived this perfect life, who lived this life in obedience and love to the Father, who who was the one worthy of receiving the righteous reward of unbroken fellowship with God, that instead of receiving that reward, he instead chose to take upon himself our sins to die for our sins in our place. As we sang this morning, Jesus paid it all. That he paid the price for our sin and that as we place our faith in his work, we are now actually free to live this life. We now actually are free to live the life that God has called us to here. And as we begin to live this life over the past couple weeks, we've seen that Jesus says, when, when you're living this life before others, as you're, as you're living this relationship with God before others, don't do so. Don't practice your righteousness before them in order to be seen. Jesus is going after our motives and he went after our motives in our giving and how we give to others of our time and our talents and our treasures. And then last week we saw how, to, how we can come before God in prayer through Jesus who has granted us access to the Father. So now that we can, we can actually come and in simplicity and in sincerity come before our Father and let our requests be known. And now Jesus turns his attention to our fasting. And he says here in verse 16, and when you fast... Jesus indicates, as he did with giving and with praying, that fasting is simply a part 
of being his followers. Just very simply, fasting is a part of your life as one of his followers. Is fasting a part of your life as one of his followers? Um, through conversations over the past couple weeks and in and, 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 and honesty and sincerity, uh, examining my own life, fasting ha- has not been something that has been a prominent part. And, and I'd, I'd wager to say that outside of maybe, maybe Lent, where, where we as a church uh, usually participate in some for, sor, form of fasting together. Outside of that, it's probably something that, that in your Christian life just kind of is off the radar. And you kind of like it off the radar, if we're honest. I like it off my radar. I like to eat despite my outward appearance. <laughs> for those listening by, uh, by audio, I'm, I'm a pretty skinny dude. Um, but, but it's not, I would wager, uh, a common part of our life. And that should bother us a little bit. For the mere fact that Jesus said, my followers will fast. And because it's generally missing from, from many of our lives, I think before we can actually look at Jesus' instructions here in Matthew on, on how we're to fast, I think we first need to consider the guidance of what the Bible gives on fasting to help get a better understanding of of what fasting looks like in Scripture. And let me say that it'd be super easy this morning to get up and just kind of share really cool stories of what God has done through, through our brothers and sisters throughout history in times of fasting. I mean, the, the stories are, are amazing. But what I don't want to do this morning is, is build our, our understanding of fasting and our hope and our expectation in fasting and, and what others have experienced. Certainly, I believe that, 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 that when we come to God in seasons of fasting, the, the wonderful and, and amazing and sometimes even miraculous things occur. History would, would, would testify to that fact. But I want us to not base our, our, our interaction with fasting upon what other people have experienced because you're setting yourself up for failure. But instead, let's open God's word Let's see what fasting looks like in the scripture and then come before him in humble obedience and fast. And on a very basic level, fasting is simply the abstaining from food for a period of time with the purpose of of seeking God or, or I'd clarify it this way, for the purpose of placing your attention and affections and hopes fully upon God. So fasting is the the abstaining from meals for the purpose of placing your attention and affections and your hope fully and uninterrupted upon God. And also, as, as we'll see when we look at the, 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 the scriptures and what they have to say about fasting, a lot of times, food is certainly involved, but actually, if you really look at the biblical accounts, it's really the stopping of your entire life to put your attention, affections, and hope fully upon God. I mean, it's, 
uh, the biblical accounts will show that, that all work stopped, all entertainment, all play, and everything was about devoting your full attention and affections and hope fully upon the God who can save and deliver you. And, and I'm not necessarily sure that that's the mandated way for us to fast. So it's not like, okay, so now if I fast, I gotta like, you know, take a vacation day or two and, you know, go lock myself in a room somewhere. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but, but I think that, that we can extrapolate it to really look at how we fast. Because as I examine my own life, a lot of times I'm just skipping meals. I mean, I'm not even actually fasting. I'm just not eating. Because when I look back, a lot of times I'll chalk it up as fasting, but really I'm just skipping meals and getting to work earlier and you know, plugging in a couple extra hours during lunch and my fast isn't to place my hope and my attention and my affections fully upon God. And so I think there's wisdom in, in looking at, at how those fasts take place in the scriptures. So where do we see fasting in the Bible? To begin with, the, 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 we'll look, and, and, and let me just say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go through a bunch of scriptures. Um, for time's sake, we won't necessarily go and look at each of them in depth this morning. But what I encourage you to do, just jot them down. Jot them down on the back of the bulletin or on a piece of paper or something like that. And then as you go home and as you begin to think about fasting and seeking the Lord, how you would do that, just go back over and read, read these accounts of these fasts in the scriptures. But the first one we're going to look at this morning is in Leviticus chapter 16. Um, in verse 29, this is actually the only place in the Bible where God commands a fast. So all the other fasts that we'll see in the scriptures are actually just people's response of faith and hope in their God. But in Leviticus 16, 29, God actually commands a fast. And if your Bibles might actually say that, that God commanded them to afflict themselves. Um, other, other translations will say fast, and, and some of them have a little footnote that say fasting at the bottom. The, the implication here, and what's going on, is, is this is the day of atonement. And so in the history of Israel, God set aside a day to deal with sin in a very serious manner. Throughout the years, as people would sin and everything, God, God provided ways for their sin to be dealt with and they could bring sin, sacrifices, and, and all this stuff. But this is the one day of the year where God said, I'm going to deal with the sins of all my people. And he did it in dramatic fashion. And, and the high priest uh, would come and, and, and he would make a, a, an offering for his own sins because he was just as sinful as the rest of Israel and the rest of the people. And he would make an atonement for his own sins. And then he would come before God. And, and you can read the account of what all goes on there in Leviticus 16. But he would then make a sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And God says that in this moment and in, in during this day, the people are supposed to afflict themselves. They are supposed to fast before him. And the purpose in this is so that all their attention would be on what's going on here. Something so serious, something so amazing was going on that it actually demanded their full attention. And he said, don't work this day, don't play this day, come and gather around because I am actually going to deal with the sin that separates me from you. And this is the only place, again, where we see God actually command a fast. The rest are simply willful expressions of faith and worship by God's people. 
Another fast that we see in, in the scriptures is Judges 20, verse 26. And what's going on here is, is basically a little mini civil war, war has broken out in Israel. And, and the tribe of Judah is actually going into battle against the tribe of Benjamin. And after two days of battle, the, the loss of life was great for Judah. Thousands of their men had died. And it says in Judges 20, 26 that... Um, we see the army of Israel, they went up and came to Bethel and wept. They sat before the Lord and fasted that day until evening. And what we see is in the evening, later on, they, they actually go and they inquire of the Lord what to do next. And he not only gives them instructions on how to go into battle the next day, but brings great encouragement to their souls, saying that surely I will be with you. And we see from, from, from this fast that, that, that um, Judah is coming before God in mourning of loss. Thousands of their brothers and friends have died in battle. And they're mourning. They're sorrowful. They're weeping. And not only that, but they're coming before God to say, what do we do? How should we go on from here to seek his wisdom and guidance? In 1 Samuel 31, 13, uh, this account takes place um, shortly after a battle, and, and in this battle, um, King Saul dies, and his son Jonathan dies, and um, the opposing forces kind of as, as mockery to, the, to Israel goes, and they take Saul, and they actually end up like hanging him up on a wall in a, in a pagan temple. And it says that some of the valiant men of Israel went and actually risking life went to grab his, his remains and bring them back. And it says that, that they, were, they were in such grief that they wept and mourned the loss of Saul and fasted for seven days. And then shortly after that, you can see in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 12, where the news of Saul's death and the news of Jonathan's death come before David. And David's response was that sorrow wells up within him and he begins to weep and mourn and all his men with him begin to mourn and it says that they fasted until the evening. And they mourned and wept. Again here we see fasting, we see it as, as a response of mourning, a response of loss. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, we see a king, Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat was one of the few good kings in the history of, of Israel. Many of the kings, when you, when you go through and, and you read the accounts of them, many of them were, departed from God and would worship false gods. Um, but Jehoshaphat was one who actually worshiped the God of Israel. And, his, and, and it says that Jehoshaphat was actually warned of an impending attack. Um, and when he hears this news, it says here that he was afraid and set his face to seek help from the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And what we see here is that they were fasting in order to seek help 
from the Lord. There was fear. They were afraid. They didn't know what to do. They, there were these opposing forces coming in after them. What, I, we're, what's going to happen? Are we going to go to battle? What's, they call a fast and gather together and seek the Lord. And as you go back and as you read this account, you're gonna actually see some really beautiful things. I was struck by how beautiful their, their devotion and approach before the Lord was. It actually says in verse 13, as, as they're coming together and as there's times of corporate prayer and, and, and they come together and it says, meanwhile, all of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And as I read it, I was just struck by what a beautiful picture of of a time of fasting, of coming before the Lord saying, God, we are placing our attention and our affections and our hope fully upon you. And they all gather together before the Lord. And they're there and there's husbands and wives and children and they gather all together. And it goes on later to talk about how there, there's prayers and, and, and there's times of praise and there's worship and it's just this beautiful picture of what it can look like to fast together. Again, we see this as a fast seeking God's direction and here it incorporates whole families, prayer, praise, worship. We see another fast in Ezra chapter eight, verse 21. And here we see fasting is is seen as a means of humbling oneself to seek God for protection. In Nehemiah chapter one, verse four, we see Nehemiah fasting as he mourns the condition of his home country and he brings his heartfelt prayers before God. In Esther four, Esther chapter four, we see a group of people fasting as they mourn over the edict of a king who is called for their extermination. And then we see these same people gathering together to pray and fast for God's intervention as one girl was going to risk her life to go before the king on behalf of God's people. And they gather together to pray and to fast for her. In Jonah chapter three, verse five, we see an entire nation realize how offensive their sin is to God. And as an act of repentance, an entire nation fasts to set their hope and their affection and their attention fully upon the God that can save them. Then we go into the New Testament And one of the first things that we see is our Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter four, a little bit before where we are right now, prior to the onset of his earthly ministry, actually goes out into the wilderness and fasts before his father for 40 days. And then later Jesus goes on in in Matthew chapter nine, verse 14, to affirm that, that even though his disciples for the period of time when Jesus was bodily present with them, not fasting, that there would be a day when he would not be with them bodily. And he says that my disciples will fast in that day. And finally, we, kind of, we, we see two accounts in the book of Acts of fasting. And this is in chapter 13 and then chapter 14. And this is after Jesus has come. It is after Jesus has given his life as a ransom for our sins. 
He has died, he has been buried, he rose victorious over death and the grave, and he has come and he has shown himself to his disciples and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to send his church out on mission. And after all that's happened, we still see his disciples fasting. In Acts 13, we see the leaders of the church in Antioch, and it says that they were worshiping the Lord and fasting when the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I have called them. And it says that after fasting and prayer, they laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. And in a similar fashion in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas are actually going and and they're appointing elders or or setting in pastors over some of the churches. And it says that they would go and before that they did that, that they would pray and they would fast and lay their hands on the leaders, committing them to the Lord and sending them to care for the churches. In all these cases, fasting is shown as not just the abstaining of food, but really in most cases from all the other distractions in life in order to seek God, in order to place our affections and our hope and our attention fully upon God. And we see that there's different motivating factors. There's, there's repentance, there's worship, the seeking of wisdom, the mourning over loss the seeking of protection, the consecration of of leaders and and the consecration of oneself for one task that God has called one to. And we see that there's different accompanying expressions. There's there's sometimes praise and singing and worship. Sometimes and oftentimes there's prayer. There's sometimes weeping and sorrow. Sometimes it's by oneself. Other times it's in large groups. But there's this constant setting aside of these natural things of our lives in order to place our attention and our affections and our hope fully upon God. And I think I think the application for us today is that Jesus says his followers will fast. He says it in our text this morning, and when you fast, and he says it in Matthew 9, 14. And so I think as Jesus' followers, we should get in the habit of, of, of setting aside time and place in our lives to give our attention fully to God. And the impetus or, or the reason for our fast can be varied. Perhaps there's, there's a, just a big decision that you have to make in your life. There's a big decision you have to make, a new job, moving to a new place. It would seem that the scripture indicates that that's a great time to fast. Perhaps there's a level of crisis in your life. Maybe you don't have armies mounting up to attack you, but maybe you got some stuff going on. There's a level of crisis. The scriptures seem to indicate that that's a good time to fast. Or perhaps you've experienced loss. The scriptures say that that fasting as part of mourning is, is, is a natural way to go about it. Or perhaps... We should fast simply for the sake of reminding ourselves that God is so much greater than these trivial and passing pleasures of life that we so abundantly surround ourselves with. Regardless of of the impetus, regardless of the reason or the motivation, 
I want to, I want to encourage us as a church to regain fasting. Or for some of us, for the very first time, to just begin fasting. The pattern of setting aside our natural appetites for the seeking of our Father. Surely the question will come, but isn't it true that Jesus' death and resurrection has granted us unbroken access to the Father? If, if that's the case, if, 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 if what we talked about last week is true, that because of what Jesus has done, that we actually can come before God and submit our prayers and our requests in simplicity and sincerity, if that's true, why do we need to fast? And I'll say it's absolutely true. Your fasting does not make your prayers any more heard by God. Your fasting doesn't somehow twist God's arm. Like, oh, okay, okay. You know, you're, fat, you're not eating, so okay. Your fasting isn't the magic genie in the bottle. Like, you rub, you rub it just the right way and you're gonna get your wish. Fasting isn't the magic genie in a bottle. Fasting isn't the big guns that you pull out when all else has failed. We fast simply first because Jesus said we would and because Jesus knows our hearts. Jesus knows what we need best. And second, we fast because God is our great treasure. And at the heart of who we are, he is our most true craving. There's so many things in this world that compete for our affections and our appetite. But however, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, what we saw in chapter five at the very beginning of this sermon, that, that those who are blessed, he says, are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Fasting helps us to redirect our hungers and our passions away from those things that are so, so fleeting and temporal and help us to hunger and thirst for the God who has created all things and given us righteousness in his son. So when we fast, how, how shall we fast? It says here in our text this morning that when we fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Jesus is saying when you fast, don't be doing it in such a way that it makes much of you and draws attention to you. You know, it's not the... Uh, you know, here, here he says the, the hypocrites disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. You know, for us, it's the, you know, you walk into work and you're kind of dragging and, you know, hey man, how you doing? Oh man, it's, it's gonna be a long day. Whoo-wee. I'm fasting today, so. And, you know, my, I got a headache because, you know, I'm addicted to coffee and, and I haven't had caffeine in like an hour. And so I, if we just turn the lights down because I'm fasting and, and you know, 
I can't go to lunch with you guys today. I'm fasting. Just very spiritual over here. Our goal is not to make much of ourselves. It's not to draw attention to ourselves. And it's not that you won't be tired and you won't have a headache and, and all that. Jesus says this, get up, take a shower, get dressed, be normal. Get up, get dressed, take a, sh- get up, take a shower, get dressed, <laughs> be normal. The other way it wouldn't be normal. He just says be normal, go about your day in such a way that you're not drawing attention to yourself. Your fast is between you and God. And like our giving and like our prayers, it's not to be seen by others so that they would make much of us. It's not so that we would make much of ourselves like Mr. Spiritual here in the building today, fasting. It's not to make much of ourselves and build ourselves up. The purpose of our fasting, as we said, is to focus our attention our affections and our hope fully upon our God. And we do that by setting aside some of the things that are just the natural part of our lives. It means when you get up, it's setting aside breakfast and saying instead of, instead of first thing, you know, grabbing my pot of coffee and my, you know, toaster strudels, that instead I'm gonna sit there and I'm gonna grab the Bible and I'm gonna come before you, God, because I need and I want and I desire to place my affections and my attention and my hope fully upon you for whatever the impetus was for your fast. That the purpose is not just to simply skip breakfast so that you can get to the office 30 minutes earlier and get a jump start on the day. That when lunchtime rolls around, or if you, if you have a coffee break or whatever, that it's not like, oh, sweet, you know, I can catch up on this project that I'm running behind on. I can work through the lunch break now because I'm not eating. Instead, it's God, you are my great treasure. You are the one that I hunger and I thirst for. And, and during my lunch break, let me go find a place where I can just be alone with you in prayer and in worship and in reading and studying your word, communing with you, placing my attention and hope fully upon you. And when you get home, instead of just, you know, cracking a cold one and turning on the TV and and flipping open your iPad to check, you know, what everybody did today on Facebook, to, to set aside these distractions and perhaps to gather together with your family or your friends to pray and to worship and to seek God, that you would set aside these trivialities of life and give yourself fully and wholly, your full, whole attention as much as you can upon God in a way that you can't when the distractions of life are there. That we would set these aside things, that we would set these aside, aside these things that vie for our attention and fix our whole selves upon God for the mere fact that he is worthy. Can we fast? And as I said earlier, please don't hear this as a message of simply fast more. Do more. We're not after a new set of rules to follow. We're after following Jesus. Is he truly your greatest treasure? He's brought us to God. 
He has brought us to our Father through his death in our place for our sins. He has granted us full access. We can come before him in simplicity and sincerity and let our requests be made known to him. And we can come to him in just special times and, and, and seasons of our lives where we just set everything aside for the exceedingly great reward of just knowing our Father. We fast because Jesus says we will, and it's he who knows our hearts and our greatest need. May we follow him because we love him. May we fast as an overflow of our love for him. May we set aside the things that so easily occupy our, our, our attention. May we take purposeful time to set our attention and our affections and our hope fully upon our Father. Let's pray. Father, we we give our attention to so many things day in and day out. From the simple things like, like breakfast to so many other things. God, you have brought us to yourself through your son. Let us, let us treasure your son. Let us treasure you. Let you be our exceeding great reward. And let us take time throughout our life to set aside these things, to give ourselves fully to seeking you. God, help us. Whether it's the first time that, that we've ever done it or, or what, that we, would, that we would look to you that we would seek instruction from your word, that we would come to you with our full attention. In Jesus' name, amen.